0: Wow, it's like I was in the story. Almost makes me forget this was supposed to be about saving big with Progressive. (laughs) Progressive Casualty Insurance Company & Affiliates.
1: How do you move from one culture that's on one side to a completely different culture on the other side? That's the topic with today's guest, Emily Adams, who grew up in an Amish community ended up leaving the Amish community, and living in the world like the rest of us. The story is amazing. It's riveting, it's moving, it's also kinda of funny in some parts. I think you guys are really gonna like this story. It's a story of hope, a story of change, a story of starting the life that you wanna start. Ladies and gentlemen, Emily Adams.
0: Uh, there's a lot of, you'll find there's a lot of misconceptions about the Amish culture. And um, so there is multiple uh, different types of Amish. And I was uh, born and raised in Indiana, kind of in the central part of Indiana. And we still had like running water and uh, cooked on like gas and had, so we had a refrigerator and stove. So it wasn't like some of the Amish where they don't have that kind of thing and they don't have any indoor plumbing. So we were, we had that growing up. Um, But yeah, it's, it's a different culture. And I would say the, probably the biggest thing that is misconceived is everyone thinks that it's such a peaceful uh, culture and there's no worries. And it's such an easy way of life. But it really isn't. It's, it's the same way of life that everyone else lives, but more restricted, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I came from, I had uh, three brothers and two sisters. Uh, you know, like any other home, we. I was, I was a tomboy growing up and uh, super always outside. I was passionate about uh, training horses, so I trained horses a lot. And decided at the age of 17 to leave. So I left at 17, uh, became pregnant at 18 with my oldest son and um, ended up getting married at 19, which is not uncommon for, you know, it didn't seem uncommon for me to be married at 19 because most of the girls are married pretty young in the Amish culture. And uh, soon saw that the marriage was not something that was healthy for me or my son to be in, was going to leave the marriage, but got pregnant with my second. So I stayed for a while and two years later, finally uh, took the leap of faith and left on my own to become a single mom. So single mom was a whole new world to me. The Amish do not believe in divorce. So I was not raised up with believing in divorce or so that was a big mindset shift that I had to really figure out it's like, you know, I was always raised that it was wrong and, you know, felt like I failed massively uh, during, you know, just getting a divorce and becoming a single mom. So after becoming a single mom, I um, decided I wanted to go to college because I always wanted to go to college. Even growing up, I wondered like, what well, what it would be to have a degree and to actually yeah. be an athlete. Those were some of you know my things I always wondered about and um, put myself through school, uh, through uh, attended at Purdue in four years um, with two boys as a single mom working full time. So it was quite a challenge, but got it done. And then meanwhile, I had found um, fitness and started working out, started doing Spartan races, and then found powerlifting, which I compete competitively in now, and definitely changed my whole world and mindset. Um, but yeah, coming from an Amish background, I would have never thought that I would ever say, you know, I was able to get my degree. Um, because when I left the Amish, I had actually got tested for my GED cause I didn't get a GED to be able to go into college. Right. And I tested out of sixth grade education because we didn't, in our school systems, we only went to eighth grade but their education system, because they didn't have algebra or they didn't write, we didn't write papers. And our language was German, which we spoke fluently at home. So it wasn't really a language, right? So um, the education piece was definitely uh, a big piece that I had to learn. So once I got my GED and uh, put myself through college, the one thing I learned real quick was writing papers was not something that I was a fan of. And interesting enough, now, writing is one of the things that I enjoy the most. Yeah, uh, but yeah, that's a little bit about me, the um, lifestyle growing up. Like I said, we did not; there was we didn't have vehicles or anything like that, but uh, we did have like indoor plumbing, and it wasn't quite because there's such a broad version of the Amish that I get asked a lot of like, yeah. a lot of different questions, like, did you guys have running water? And yeah, we did. <laughs>
1: What do people ask you the most? And we're going to dive deeper into this. Um, One, my wife has a huge fascination with the Amish. And she grew up in central Pennsylvania. That's why. Oh, yes. we grew up in the heart of, well, not we. I'm not from them. We've been together so long. But I met her and she's from um, a little town called Mifflinburg. And I would see these people riding on bikes and stuff, wearing the dresses. And I'm like, what's that? And she would tell me about it and, you know, and I started like learning a lot more about Amish and Mennonites. And I, I mean, I had no exposure to that ever. And as I learned more about how prevalent it was in the area she grew up in, you know, I I just was fascinated by it, you know. And um, so I think for a lot of people there, it feels like maybe a, a, a subsection of, society that people think they know about or they have very little knowledge of what's going on. So I I think it's important for people who are going to listen to kind of go behind the curtains of what there's different versions or types, but like what your experience was like and, you know, what was the daily day? What was the daily basically version of your life like early on that you can remember?
0: Yeah. So we actually, um, the daily day was, you know, we, uh, part of, For a part of it, I grew up on a farm where we actually milked cows and we Mm -hmm. had a lot of cows. And then later on, we ended up moving and getting rid of the cows and stuff. So then it was then it changes a little bit. But when we had the cows, the daily day was, you know, we would get up, uh, go out, feed, milk the cows and um, then come back in, you know, get ready for school. And we would go to school, come back home do this, you know, cows, have to be milked twice a day, do the same thing, feed and then dinner and then play or do whatever. A lot of the playing that we did. So play a lot of basketball. Um, we we're pretty creative. Uh, played a lot of outdoor stuff. I was tomboy. So again, I was outdoors all the time. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of the daily day when we lived on a farm with cows. And then um, it all, it's always very, a lot of different so different chores and different things like we, we always had animals growing up. So we always, you know, every time they had to be fed morning and night, we were the ones, Us, you know, we went out and fed the animals. Uh, as far as going to school, we did not ride the bus to go to school. So we actually uh, would either drive our pony, our horse and uh, cart, our pony and cart, or I rollerbladed a lot to school. <laughs> So uh, we were not allowed to have bikes growing up. So our community did not allow us to have bikes. So we either had to, we rollerbladed or drove the uh, pony to school. And for school, we, uh, so the uh, grades one through four are in one classroom and then f- five through eight are in the other classroom. So it's just mm-hmm. a two classroom school. These teachers are not certified or anything like that. They're just someone that has a passion of teaching. Um, and they may not necessarily be an expert at teaching at all. It's just someone that comes in and teaches the curriculum that they have and didn't have a whole lot of homework. There were sometimes, you know, we had studying to do, but nothing like major. Our homework was pretty, it might once a week, maybe take you 10 minutes to do it. Cause everything <laughs> got done at school, you know? Right. So there was no homework assignments unless you were struggling, then you, you know, took your books home and studied for that subject. Um, but yeah, there in school, there was definitely still discipline. Um, when I grew up, they, they actually did spank you or paddle you at school. So that was a thing. I th- don't know how current that is now, but, um, it was a
1: thing for me when I was a little kid, I remember getting paddled at school. This was in regular public school. I mean, like, and it stopped pretty quickly though. It didn't, it lasts much longer, but yeah, I don't, I don't think that's a thing now at all, but I do remember that happening to me one time. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It happened to me too. So
1: (laughs) (laughs) of course it did. Right.
0: Yeah, but um and then as far as like um uh, the schools and a lot of the churches it's really divided male and female. So, you know, the even at church they all the guys sit on one side and all the women sit on the other side.
1: I didn't know that. I yeah. definitely didn't know that part. What what was that about?
0: Um, it's just the way that it's always been structured. They also feel that the um uh, the guys are the ones that kinda have the say so and that are the leaders and the women don't necessarily have a say so in a lot of like the church things. They just kind of go lead with whatever the guys say. So it's not a very empowering for women at all. And basically your, your life as a, as a girl is you grow up, you learn to cook, clean, sew, and eventually you're going to get married at an early age, have kids, and that's your entire life. You're just a stay at home mom. So that was something that when I was growing up, I hated like cooking, cleaning or sewing or doing any <laughs> of that stuff.
1: You were like heavily against all of this, huh? <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, you could. It, it, that's a pretty accurate statement.
1: <laughs> Did you feel like an outcast? Like you were just so different from other people? Like were the other people around you that were just easily adapted to that?
0: Yes. So yeah, I would definitely say there was times that I questioned like, why in the world am I here? Like, I don't fit into this. I would question their rules. You know, the rule as simple as like, you have to wear all black socks. Like, what is the point? Why? So, well, it was just, that was part of their rules because they didn't want you to wear different color socks because then they would think that you would have pride in stuff in your clothes and they didn't want that to happen. So when it came to clothing and You know, the women just strictly wore dresses and had to be a certain, you know, certain colors were off limits and certain styles were off limits. You couldn't be fancy because they all were afraid that it would tie back to having pride and they did not want to be prideful people. But in reality... You could be prideful the other way, so you could be prideful as like, oh, I've never made you know a mistake in dressing the way I do, you know. So it's such a double-edged uh, sword now when I look back at it. Uh, but yeah, so I always wondered like, why do I have to wear black sh- socks and shoes? Like, why can't I wear white ones? Or why do I? Why can't I wear like a bright pink dress if I want to? So there was, you know, there was that the the clothing was really restrictive and always having you know your hair covered and up. And wearing a covering at all times. When did and, that feeling
1: start for you? Like when you started feeling this kind of, I don't want to say rebellious streak or just that you just knew that you were like, this wasn't your thing.
0: I would say it probably started when I was 12 or 13 and okay. it slowly increased as I got, you know, as I got older and I started seeing more and asking, you know, different questions of we also had different influences of like other Amish communities that allowed it. So some Amish communities will allow you to, you know, wear different colors or, you know, have these different rules, but our community didn't. So it kind of depends on where you live at on what the rules are. So I would say at a very young age that I was kind of like, you know, this is, this is crazy. And the fact that, my my path was basically, you know, figure out like after school. So after school, you get out of school at eighth grade, which I was 13 at the time. And then after that, it's just learn all the skills you can help around the house. I helped my dad with his business and train horses. And after that, like the rest of it was like find a guy and get married. Like that was the path and have kids. So it wasn't something that I was like, you know, I, I'm not really into this. This is not my thing. I don't like to be inside. I don't like to cook. I don't like to clean. I don't like to sew. I don't like the rules. <laughs>
1: <laughs> did anybody question like, did, did, did you voice this? And if so, or did anybody notice and either way, were did somebody say, Hey, you just need to deal with this. Or what was the reaction to it? Yeah.
0: yeah so uh, <laughs> growing up, um, you could voice it if you wanted to. So I'm not saying I could not voice it. I, I mean, I voiced it a few times and, you know, was told right away, you know, this is the life and this is why we do what we do. And it's not going to change. So you might as well deal with it. Because that was kind of their outlook of it.
1: Staying. But they you have... Go ahead. Sorry about that. I'm, I'm exploding with things right now. That's all right. Go ahead. <laughs> but then you have like, then you guys, isn't it correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't there a thing like the rumspringer, right? Or something. Oh, and, I knew
0: this was going to come right,
1: up. <laughs> you, so you better know, I'm going to, I'm going to go, I'm going to go a lot of places. You have no clue. <laughs> then you had yes. that anyways. They knew that was coming, right? I mean,
0: um. So in certain communities, they allow you to do the rumspringing. And basically, they kind of allow you the flexibility to figure out like what you're going to do. In the community I was raised, there was no figuring it out. Like you didn't have the option to be like, oh, I'm going to go and try this lifestyle. That was not an option. And basically, I was told, you know, if you choose not to be Amish, you know, you know how we feel. You're not welcome here. You can't come back.
1: You're shunned. Then, right? Right. You're done. Right.
0: Um, So I knew that at a very young age, because that's what was drilled into us all our life was like, so a lot of the um, Amish people, you know, girls, boys or whatever, no matter what age they are, they won't leave because of that reason, because they don't want to be shunned because of the way that the culture is, is once you're shunned, they believe that you don't have the option of going to heaven or, you know, they believe you're doomed for life. So that fear just kind of breeds into everyone when they think about, oh, I want out of this culture because this culture is not for me. And then, you know, there's everybody, once you do say, you know, like I'm out and I don't really want any part of it. Then there's also the part where, you know, the church comes and talks to you. All these people are talking to you and telling you, you know, you're a horrible person. Look what you're doing. This isn't what God wants. And, you know, try to throw every aspect of the Bible in to it even though it's not correct yeah but it's it makes it difficult for anyone that wants to leave that culture
1: how do man uh you're going to be answering a lot of questions for me (laughs) (laughs) i I was like as soon as i saw your old profile i was like this person's going to be on my show and i am going to be asking a lot of questions (laughs) that's fine Isn't that why you want to be on a podcast? You want to tell your story, right? You want to get things out, you know? Yes, absolutely. So
0: yeah, definitely. I, I am all about being on podcast and because I'm so passionate about helping others and just allowing them to see like their true potential and, you know, all the things that we are so capable of.
1: Yeah. And we're going to get to the powerlifting and all that. All this stuff's exciting to me, but we're building a story here, you know, and I'm interested, and I think a lot of people interested is what. Okay, I'm going to change how I was going to do this. So, with your parents, how do you? What's that emotion like? Knowing, like, when you want to leave and you want to go, how do you reconcile that with may, never seeing your parents again, or maybe no communication, or your brothers and sisters? What was that like?
0: It was. It was hard. It was not something that I. Decided overnight and it took me a long time because I would say at the start of age 15, I really got the whole sense of like, I know this is not for me and I'm not going to stay Amish. And then I turned 16, which then is when you can like start going to the youth group and like hanging out with like the youth group when you're 16. And that's where a lot of people will get, oh, now you're 16. Now you can do room springing, which is not valid in all communities. Um, but at 16, you know, I saw a lot, um, when, when I went to these youth groups and stuff, like it was just like, I wasn't fitting in there and I drank a lot. So I drank a lot of alcohol and got caught multiple times, got grounded for that. You guys
1: are sneaking it like the people in the group? Yeah. Yeah, Oh yeah. (laughs)
0: Like there's, there's a whole other story about, addictive person, you know, the alcohol and smoking and it's there, like it's, it's in every community. It's there.
1: Yeah. Cause I think this perception is like, that stuff is like never around or that you're not, you can't get it or something. So that's interesting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's, it's definitely, it's, it's always there. It's in every community and some of it, there's some communities that even have drugs. So they have the same struggles that everyone else does.
1: Right. Right. But yeah, back to
0: your back to your question of like, how do you, you know, wrap your mind around like you're not going to see your parents or, you know, your brothers and sisters. Um, It was a hard it was hard to get to that point of like this. If I make this decision, this is what I'm facing. But I had gotten to the point where I was so over it and kind of the turning point for me was my best friend had gotten killed on a uh, highway in a horse and buggy, a semi head side swap, swiped them. Mm. And in this funeral, you know, there's a thousand of people there. And uh, in this funeral, they just had made the remark of, you know, they're not sure that uh, they're going to go to heaven. And I'm thinking, you know, if we sit here and we say we're a community of like, God is love and, you know, how is, how is that love saying this at a funeral? And it wow. was kind of like that moment of, at this point, it doesn't matter. You know, what are you losing? And I always felt like, you know, I had something bigger and something better. And somewhere there was, I was going to be able to find true happiness somewhere. And that's what, like, I was chasing was to find, like, true happiness that actually filled me up and allowed me to be who I wanted to be. Which was sad,
1: though? Were you sad, though, And you didn't, you know, you weren't going to, like, what was that last day like?
0: I was sad. Um, I was more so scared because I was 17. So technically my parents could still come get me because I wasn't 18. And um, yeah, I was sad. But at the same time, I think I was so bitter because they had found out prior to me actually leaving. they knew that I was going to leave because what happens is when you become 16, they usually want you to join the church. And I had refused to join the church. I said, no, I don't want no part of it. So then they knew, like, if she's not going to join the church, she's on the edge of leaving. And then all of it starts with, oh, well, let's start bringing these people in to talk to her. So, you know, people were coming to talk to me to tell me, you know, you have to stay. You need to, you know, if you leave and you have children, you're never going to amount to anything. And like they try all these brainwashing techniques of like to get you to stay. And I had gotten to the point where I was so bitter and I was so tired and so ever over everyone just telling me like, you need to stay, you need to do this. And like, I got to the point where (laughs) the bitterness, and then I got really good at blocking out things of like, just blocking it completely out. I'm like, I'm still going to do what I want to do. And that's what I'm going to do. And for the longest time, like I was very bitter at, at everyone, you know, just after leaving, and it takes a lot of inner work and a lot of, you know, self-development to release all of that. Because, you know, in my mind, I was feeling like it wasn't fair that I was going through this. I had no support. I was on my own. And, you know, how do we say that we're a community full of love, but yet when one person wants to leave the community, there's, there's the opposite of love. Yeah. So yeah, it, it was not, it was not easy. Um, But interesting enough, I had left, and then I think it was a year, maybe a year and a half later, uh, my two sisters left. So so now there's three of us that um, had left. And uh, I was able to eventually, you know, uh, reconnect with my parents and have a better relationship. Oh, and it, okay. you know, it took some time and there was a little bit of we had to gain that respect back. You know, at first the rule was, you know, if you leave, you can never come back. That was the rule. And then my sisters left and they had actually had children uh, when they left. And those were grandchildren. Right. So now they wanted the grandchildren, you know, to come back. So then there was like, well, you can come back if you wear a dress or if you don't do this. And I was like, no, I'm still not going to come back if you're going to make me wear a dress. So long story short, we ended up um, being allowed to come back. And since then, uh, I'm thankful that I've like reconnected with my parents and have a pretty decent relationship with them.
1: Wow, that's nice.
0: Yeah, it's it's very nice because not every story turns out this way. So I've been super thankful to have that. And actually, my boys now are able to know who their grandparents are and can kind of see, you know, this is how mom grew up. And so...
1: That's wonderful. That's, that's nice that you can be a family on some level. Still, you know, I wonder what is your, what was your relationship about religion when you were growing up in an Amish community and how you see that as different in that relationship now?
0: Oh, this is a good question. So religion growing up was very, it was very strict and it was very, um, I would definitely say that I definitely didn't have any faith in God at all. And I viewed God as like a very scary person and he was going to punish me for everything I did. So when I left the Amish, I literally thought to myself, you know what? I already know that I'm going to burn in hell because that's what's been, you know, put in my brain. So I might as well live my life. Like whatever happens, happens. I might as well live it to the fullest, do whatever I want because I thought there was no way that I was ever going to be saved and for the longest time I would battle with like I didn't go to church after I had because in the Amish you know they go to church uh, every Sunday and their church is, is very different than what our church is it's like a three hour service and it's 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 different because it's three hour service and you sit the entire time and you can't if you go up to use the bathroom or you get, you know, stand up to go get a drink or whatever, it's frowned upon. So it's like this three hour straight of sitting and you sit there, you don't even pay attention anymore because it's awful and you can't really relate to the message that's being given. So that was kind of the version of church. I hated it with passion. Like I hated going to church. It was awful. And then after I left, I realized, um, You know, that I was just a lost cause and I was just not going to have to, I was just not going to worry about it. You know, I was, I was doomed from, from the time of leaving because there was no saving me. But since then, um, after doing a lot of internal work, I realized, and it's just been probably, I mean, I got back, I ended up joining another church, uh, that's, you know, not Amish, it's a non-denominational church and I got baptized and, um, really reconnected with God and just, you know, felt like I was forgiven, but I was still carrying on all this baggage with me. So yeah, I thought God had forgiven me, but in all reality, I still haven't forgiven myself. So it was literally probably, I would say, in the last two months that I did a really deep dive of I started meditation and I did a lot of inner child work, which was interesting and it brought me to the real of the reality of, you know, the spiritual world. And now I, I view it so different, like, like the religion and the spiritual side there, it's two completely different worlds. And I would say once I figured out the connection to the spiritual side and how much God is love, you know, the universe or whatever people want to call it. So I call it God. Yes. But he is love and he's there and he wants the best for us. It, it changed my life and that's when i realized like wow like i was born in religion and this is spiritual and the probably the most frustrating thing for me was i had to realize every time something came up about religion or around spiritual like i had to ask myself is this my truth or or is this the way i was raised because i was raised that so many things are bad You know, there's, you can't do this or this and this, or you can't do this or God's going to punish you. You know, there wasn't, there wasn't, I wasn't raised to have grace or self-love or, you know, just allowing yourself to make a mistake. You make a mistake, that's okay. You know, God still loves you, you know? So just seeing the different aspects of it is just, has really been mind blowing, and, I give like meditation 100% of like just being able to connect and actually find that spiritual, you know, connection. And I think like looking back throughout my life, the whole time, you know, I was chasing something. I was looking for happiness and I looked tried multiple different areas to find it, but I just now finally found it. And that's because I got the true connection We all have the ability to find true happiness in our life and live the life we dream of having. Finding your true happiness is not in other people or our earthly belongings, but we hold our own happiness within us. But in order to find true happiness, we need to step into our true authentic self and do what we are called to do in life. And until we are doing what we are called to do in life, and what our life purpose is, we will have a difficult time finding true happiness. Because when we are doing what we love, that's when we find true happiness. So I encourage everyone to find what they love doing and what their life purpose is, and to find true happiness. Because we all have access to it, and we have the ability to tap into it and to just live a happier and more fulfilled life.
1: Do you feel that, and I have a theory about this, do you um, you feel that a lot of people who maybe say, you know, they have no connection to spirituality or they have very negative feelings towards God or religion, that they're their thought process has been influenced by maybe, like yourself, having a very difficult and terrible experience with religion growing up.
0: Yes, absolutely. And I, yeah, I definitely agree with that 100%. The Because I hear all the time, you know, churches, oh, I hate churches because, you know, they're just bad people or, you know, they're crooks or whatever it is. They had a bad experience. The church isn't really, the church is just there to kind of support you, right? You're on your own spiritual journey. So you can be a spiritual person and not be involved in a church. I firmly believe, you know, the church is there to support you, right? And people get into this mindset of, well, in order for me to be a spiritual person, I need to go to church or I need to do this or I need to do that. That's how they were wired. And that's kind of how the whole world is wired <laughs> that you can't just connect with God on your own. You can. And there's multiple ways you can do that. So, yeah, hmm. definitely.
1: Well, it's just interesting. Is my theory generally, I don't think I've said this on my podcast ever, but I think having different guests pulls things out of me too for that. But you know my theory about it is is very similar that the majority of people that i've met that have very negative connotations towards religion um have had a very very bad unfortunate religious experience growing up or they had none at all but i also feel that we're also in a time where a lot of people are yearning for spirituality they 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 want they want it in their life. They sense something bigger than themselves, and I always feel that that is something that is very hardwired into humans. <clears throat> but our our experience with it, among other humans, and how it's disseminated at a, with us, greatly colors how we see it. Ford, um, like I grew up in uh, you know like Baptist church based home, you know, and going to churches that were mainly military bases. We grew up in a military family. And I did not like it either. It was very boring. I used to complain all the time to my parents. I didn't want to go. And I fell away from it for in my college years. And I made some really dumb mistakes. And, but I always felt there was something bigger than me. And like yourself, I went, <clears throat> I went back to church. I got baptized. When you were saying that, I was like, man, I know what that's like. I got baptized. And I had a very different outlook on it. But I knew I needed it. And I'm not on here saying I think that everybody needs to do all these things. I'm just saying that I feel like people have this this yearning for something larger in the universe and spirituality. And for me, it is God. And for other people, maybe whatever else. But I feel like it's greatly shaped by how you were introduced to it growing up. You know?
0: Yeah, yeah. I I would definitely agree with that. It is very much shaped because you know I just take myself for example. When I left, I was like, I don't want nothing to do with it. And what I didn't realize is I didn't want nothing to do with religion and the non-denominational church, you know, kind of gave me that flexibility of like still kind of believing what I wanted to believe. Uh, But then when I found, you know, there's a huge difference between religion and spirituality is, and, and it is right. You know, so many people are searching for that right now and will resist it because they think once they welcome this in or they connect with God, That they're going to become what they feel is like these negative church people, right?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think they're going to become lame, like some lame version of themselves, really boring, no fun or something. And it's really, it's just a really interesting psychological aspect of that, you know? And I also wonder, thinking about your experiences, what was it like the first time you went to a church that wasn't an Amish? Church?
0: It was very different. One thing I <clears throat> one thing that stood out the most was I actually could relate to what the pastor was preaching. And it was a very welcoming and warm church. So the people were super nice, and I was not expecting that. You know, here I was like the first time going into this church, and you know, they were just welcoming me with open arms and then the fact that it didn't last more than an hour with this music and everything, I thought that was the best part of the day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I had the same experience. I was like, wow, it was only an hour. This is great. Yes.
0: <laughs> but yeah, it was definitely, you know, being able to actually listen to someone preach and be able to relate. And, you know, the pastor just showed like he was human too. Like he's yes. just like the rest of us. And I think that's so important because you know we look at these people that are pastors or whatever you know in the spiritual world that they're so much better than we are, but in all reality, they struggle with the same things that we do.
1: They're human. I mean, exactly. we're all fallible. You know, like you know, the the church that I attend, well, it's virtually, but I've been attending it virtually for a long time because it was in Las Vegas, and I was like, I'm sticking with this. You <laughs> know, and they always had a virtual. Element to it. They were very ahead of their times. The large church, and uh, I love my pastor because he's just such a flawed person. Like he wears it proudly, and he's just like a regular dude. And he's like wearing like that was a big thing for me. Going to church as an adult was like not having to wear like a suit and like dress up and do all this stuff. I hated that with a passion. And like I would, my wife and I would go, and it's like. We're wearing shorts and flip-flops. We're hanging. It was just Vegas. You know, it's hot, you know, and and uh, everybody else, you know, there's biker guys in there. There's people who just look wild. I and mean, It looks wild, you know, and everybody was, it was all loving. And I was like, why does it matter that you have to look, you know, kind of the quote unquote, your Sunday's best, you know, it's just like come as you are. And I like that it was just so much, and it continues to be about just who you are is good enough. We're gonna love up on you, and by the way, I make a lot of mistakes too, man. I mean, I mess up, you know, here and there. And it's just—it's a very easy way to be loved and to be and have spirituality. It still takes work, but it it was—it was—it's just welcoming, like you said. I feel like we have very similar parallels to these things, you
0: know. Yeah, I. That's one of the reasons like the non-denominational church, when I show up now, it's literally you can wear whatever you want. Yeah. Or the the beautiful thing is now you can just attend online, right? Yeah. So yeah, I definitely love that.
1: So as you transition to uh, the world outside of the Amish community, what were some of the maybe startling things that you experienced as you started living and kind of just different lifestyle. Yeah.
0: So some of them, the startling ones were um, the language that people used.
1: Like cursing like I, and stuff?
0: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like, Wow, and the interesting thing is that you know I started working in a factory, and guess who picked up that habit for a oh, while? Oh, you had a dirty
1: mouth, <laughs> probably at some.
0: <laughs> so yeah, the cursing, and then all the different things of, like the first time I got my hair cut, and mm-hmm. I learned like actually that was one of the moments I learned like you don't tell anyone that you used to be Amish, and for the longest time, no one knew. That I used to be Amish because of the fact that I would just get bombarded with these crazy questions. And (laughs) what's the craziest question?
1: What's the craziest question somebody asked you?
0: The craziest question somebody asked me is if the Amish have sex. And I was like, Well, I was born. (laughs) So (laughs) But yeah, like I would get like they would be like, Oh, so do you know how to grow wheat? Uh, No, I don't know how to grow wheat because they assume like the Amish grow wheat. And I'm like, no, they don't really grow wheat, you know? So right. it's just a lack of education or they haven't been yeah. around it. So I, I, for the longest time I was like, no, nobody's ever going to know this because I am not going to answer these questions. And then I slowly started, you know, being cause sometimes I had to share it when I walked in to get like my GED and they would be like, okay, so why don't you, this is where you placed what, what school were you going to? And I was like, no, I wasn't. So there were certain times I had to, you know, say, well, I was actually born and raised Amish. And this is why I don't, you know, have this. So I started getting more comfortable with, and I would say it's probably just within the last, um, maybe year that I've really been like, you know what, it's part of my identity. It's who I am. You know, I'm just going to embrace it and go, go with it. And it's, it's funny because I'm, I'm friends with a lot of people and they had no idea for years that I used to be Amish and I always felt like people could pick it up on me for some reason. I felt like people <laughs> could, could look pick it at up me like they she could pick Amish. it up on me, but <laughs> so I always tell people now, like I, I'm open to any questions. The only thing I will always tell them is like, you're not allowed to call me Amish anymore because I'm really not Amish anymore. So you can't yeah. put me in that category I'm still a little defensive about that.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: <laughs> just I, I think just because I don't I don't want that label of like yeah. being Amish. Uh, but I do know like it is part of my story. It's who I am. It's it's what made me who I am today. Right. So therefore, I choose to embrace it and move on.
1: I think it's fantastic. I mean, that you're willing to tell your story. Life is full of many stories and being the willingness to step out. And you know, you're stepping out telling a story about a a community that people are like wildly fascinated by and yeah. how they live. You know, it'd be like if you said you were in like this, like the Jonestown cult or something like that. would be like, what? Tell me about it. Tell me about the inner workings of, you know, it's like back in the day, like people are just, I'm fascinated by it. When I watch documentaries on Netflix, I will purposely like try to find, Things like Amish or different, you know, different, very drastic, extreme ways of living and things of that nature. Like, why is this happening? Why do people subscribe to this type of thing, you know? And uh, I think it's just the nature of it. When you live in such a different reality of most of the world, people are curious. They're just curious about it. You know, it's it's not, it's, it's so outside of what they're used to. They just want to know, you know? Yeah. And, and some people just, you know. They say weird things, or like you said, they're not knowledgeable. The wheat thing, like I never even thought of that. (laughs) I mean, like I don't get that one, but hey, you know, who knows? Somebody told them that, probably. You know,
0: yeah, or they, you know, they just assumed like the Amish grow their own food, or you know, different things. They just kind of put it into an assumption of it.
1: Yeah, it's you know, how do you know something until you've actually been around it? Like when I was in Central Pennsylvania, like the summer before. I married my wife you know we used to go to uh this store it's called greenridge and i think it was a mennonite society but you know you, you're you go in the store and it's nothing but women and they're dressed in those dresses and in like you know here i go walking in there. this black dude in the middle of central Pennsylvania and this in this mennonite store i mean i couldn't have looked more out of place if you know my head was sewn to the carpet you know for and you know, we bought a quilt from a uh, a household that I'm sorry, was either Amish or Mennonite, you know, and it was a weird experience. It was like so off the grid to me. So it was, you know, I think just people are curious about things they're not used to.
0: Yeah, I, I definitely, I agree. And I think like growing up when we would go out to public or if we went on vacation or went grocery shopping, we would get like so many like weird looks and questions. And I think that's kind of reason right now. I just don't like stereotyping at all because everyone I felt like was always stereotyping us. Like people would point at us and be like, Oh, look, there's Amish. And like, I'm like, yeah, we could hear you say that.
1: (laughs) I hear you now. Come on.
0: (laughs) But, you know, I think part of it is, you know, if, if there, again, it goes back to the, you know, the knowledge part, if not, not knowing so
1: yeah well take me into your um the fitness aspect obviously is very important to you Powerlifting. I, I wanted to make sure I got to that and how you got introduced to that and you know the passion behind it
0: yeah so I actually started um so after my after my first divorce there was two not a proud moment but
1: I see. you know
0: it's part of my story mm-hmm. uh so after my leaving the marriage, I needed an outlet and I was super overweight and I decided, you know, I'm going to get a gym membership, try to change my life and at least drop some weight. Like that was the biggest goal was just to drop weight and got a gym membership that was 24 seven access. So I could go early in the morning and not have to worry about people being in there. The weights were super intimidating for me. (laughs) So, um, when I first started, I just did a lot of cardio and then started working with, um, a personal trainer and he had taught me a lot of just different forms. And then I got actually decided to start doing Spartan races and, um, that kind of changed because I'm super competitive. So that kind of changed my whole mindset around like fitness and like what my limitations were, as I was training for this Spartan races, because it just kept it pushed me mentally, um, mentally and physically. It really pushed me to step it up, you know, on all my trainings and stuff. And it was something I could focus on because I was a single mom. I needed something kind of an outlet and I had just started going to college as well. So kind of gave me that drive and motivation ended up losing, I think it was right, right around 65 pounds lost a lot of weight and then actually went to the Arnold in Ohio, which is a big like fitness yep. um, thing. And I was trying to find knee sleeves because doing squats was kind of killing my knees in the gym and, uh, walked up and was like, Hey, go to buy these knee sleeves. And the guy asked me if I was a power lifter. And I was like, no, I don't powerlift." And he was like, Oh, you have like the perfect uh, build to be a power lifter. And I was like, oh, okay. So we started talking about powerlifting and it was actually the, uh, president of the USPA Federation, which I compete in now, uh, that I was talking to. And I didn't realize it. So he hooked me up with some people in Indiana and started training. And when I first started training, uh, my squat was two something, my deadlift was two something. And my bench was, wasn't quite a hundred pounds, but when I started training, I found out that my numbers just increased. Like as soon as I saw like how actually how strong I was, it became very addicting. I was like, "Man, this is awesome." So, I've made the decision to compete and after getting on the platform, what I really enjoyed about it was one, it was an adrenaline rush and I love I'm an adrenaline junkie. So
1: (laughs) did you know that about yourself early on in life? No,
0: no, I did not. But it's interesting because powerlifting. And then last year I actually went skydiving, which was amazing. So nice. So yeah, anything that will give me an adrenaline pump is definitely my thing. And on the platform, it didn't matter like what size you were or how much you weighed or whatever. You were strictly your own competition. And that's so cool about the powerlifting community. They don't care what you look like, uh, what size it's just follow the judge's commands, lift your weights and you're fine. Like that's just the community that it's, it's a very welcoming community. So competed for the first time qualified to actually go to worlds, went to worlds and then, um, in December, my ultimate goal for powerlifting was a thousand pound total, and in December of last year, I was actually able to hit a thousand and thirteen on my total, and that that was really eye opening for me because I thought thousand was like my peak, like I wouldn't go over that, and I realized I had much more in me, <laughs> so right. Um, so started training and I also qualified to go to the drug-tested uh nationals, which will be in September this year. And uh actually just maxed out on my lifts this like two weeks ago, and I had a 424 squat, a 424 deadlift, and two twenty-five bench. Damn. So yeah, so all my lifts have been going up. Training's been going really good, and I think through all of it is When I realized that I had all this potential, not just in physically, also mentally, it transformed, you know, transferred mentally, like if you're this strong in the gym, you can pretty much do anything you want in life. Like you don't realize how strong you are. And I think that's what drove me to really challenge myself mentally and find, you know, what makes me happy and what drives me. And now that I found, you know, that once you start changing your mind and rewiring everything and doing the internal work, your life just shifts and you don't like you, you just see it shifting, but a lot of people won't go through rewiring their brains and doing the work or, you know, rewiring their thoughts and actually doing the mental side, because it's not, it's not something easy and it's very uncomfortable. So Once you get past that uncomfortable phase and you stick to it, you realize like how much potential you actually have.
1: You know, it reminds me, it's not reminds it, but it makes me think journey to leaving the Amish, you know, community, like you did something hard. And so it almost prepped you for doing harder things or, you know, different hard challenges after that. You know it would be weird, honestly, like if you couldn't commit to something like that, but then you could leave the Amish. like that would be weird to me, honestly. <laughs> I'd be like, well, one of these things seems like is way more emotionally <laughs> jarring than the other, you know, type of thing. But I don't know, it happens with people. They are able to do something very hard in one instance, and then you would think, "Wow, they, how can they not do this?" Like I used to I mean, I've been in the fitness business for almost 20 years and training and executive and all this, and I remember I used to train some judges. And I used to think, why these people put people away for like capital punishment for life. It's pretty hard, like just hardcore stuff. And then they can't show up regularly for their fitness appointment, you know, or a training session. I always thought that was weird for that. So in many ways, I felt like you kind of had this interesting preparatory experience for handling hard things, you know.
0: Yeah, that's... That's that's true. I mean, yeah, I totally I totally understand cuz and I agree when you look at like these judges that can't show up for it's just weird. For this, but they can actually, you know, lock people up and do that. You know, that's an easy thing for for them to do. That's what they're used to doing. Yeah. But showing up for a gym appointment might be completely out of their comfort zone. And what happens when we get out of our comfort zone is we don't know what the cer- if we don't know what certainty is or what's going to happen. We, it automatically feels uncomfortable it's not a good feeling and then we want to retreat we don't want to we don't want to keep going because it's hard nobody wants to f- sit in it and feel it right
1: of course it's difficult to sit in something and feel it and face it and climb that mountain you know I mean look at what you're doing I mean you're putting up some serious weight that load is serious that you're putting up and that doesn't happen by just going eh, I kind of do this here and there you know it's it's a commitment it's it's consistency and it's a drive. And it's funny that you didn't know you were like adrenaline junkie. That I think is funny because like you learn that about yourself after living in a different environment and, and learning about all those things. What, what about yourself have you learned? If it's not that, that is so different than what you thought about yourself growing up.
0: Oh man, there's so many things. So Adrenaline Junkie is one of them. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I didn't realize, you know, I didn't know that that was something. Uh, The other thing was the amount of passion that I have to empower people, especially females. And I never knew that that was something that I was really driven for. And now like I'm even more driven for that. And also Growing up, I never I guess saw myself as a leader or ever being in a leadership type. And when I left, I was actually in several leadership positions in the corporate world. Um, so it's interesting to see because, you know, in the Amish world, there's there's not any women leaders. Right. So, you know, learning that you can be a leader and the other thing is like really being who you want to be. That's that's the biggest thing is like Okay, so you want to be this person, then be it. But you're not, you know, growing up, I was never, you were, you were going to be a certain way, you were going to behave a certain way. And that's just how it was. So it's just interesting how everything kind of shifts that and writing, I didn't realize that I enjoyed writing.
1: (laughs) Mm -hmm. Right. What else? How did you look at relationships? Oh, uh, <laughs> at this point, you know, come on, it's coming. How did you look at relationships? At
0: this point, oh you know? man, we could talk about relationships all day.
1: I want to know. So,
0: um, <laughs> relationships for me, when I left the Amish relationships was, um, uh, so in the Amish culture, there's not very, in, there's not any intimacy shown, right? So if you mm. see Amish couples, you know, they're not holding hands or, you know, they don't even kiss in front of their kids or tell them that they love each other or anything like that. So going into a relationship, that's just like what I thought it was. And I just thought, you know, the, the women, the women wait, like they do everything for the guys, right? So they cook, they clean, uh, do laundry, everything. So strictly when the guy comes home, supper is ready. And that's kind of how I was, And well, clearly, you know, first marriage, it was a very abusive marriage. And that's the reason why I got out is I realized like, okay, this isn't going to work. I can't take this type of verbal abuse. And it's just beating me down every single day. So left that marriage and the dating world was completely like, I was like, oh my goodness, like, I don't even know how to go about to like date or anything it was like so foreign to me and so completely different than what I'm used to. And I didn't even realize, really know what dating was and it's dating such a broad thing. Anyways, everyone has their different things. So I want to listen to
1: one of my podcasts about dating. It's pretty good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'll have to listen to that episode. (laughs) There's two of
1: them. Okay. There's two of them. You might benefit from it. Okay.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. We could talk about that. Um, the, so yeah, fast forward. I, after a few years, I, you know, was dating. I, we, I ended up getting married uh later. And in that time, like I thought, yeah, you know, I could be with this person for the rest of my life. And uh, one day, you know, he just said, you know, I'm done. I want a divorce and, you know, broke my, broke my heart. You know, it was earth shattering for me. But now when I look back in all my relationships I always was in a relationship and I looked in that person for what I needed. So I needed what I craved at the time. You know, I wanted security. I wanted to feel loved. I wanted to, you know, I was not a needy person at all because, you know, I pretty much take care of myself, but I wanted to like have certain securities. And after doing a lot of internal work and realizing that, I didn't have self-love myself. So how was anyone else going to love me? You know, actually finding true self-love. And when you get into a relationship, it's not about what that person can do for you or going into the relationship. Like, I don't really like this about that person. So maybe I can change them. That's not really how it works. Because if you go into it where it's an unconditional mindset, you know, no matter what I'm going to love them, it, a completely different game changer and I was not that way in any of my relationships in the past so that's definitely been the the biggest curve is because I wasn't taught anything in relationships like our family was like you know this is basically date get married do whatever like there was no hey if a guy treats you this way or if a woman treats you this way you should probably not date her Right. So there was no none of those conversations. Now I have conversation with my boys all the time about like, look, if this is coming up and you see this, then maybe you're not meant to be together. So, but those conversations were never had growing up. It was just we didn't we didn't talk about it, and having to learn that all on my own. I learned clearly. I learned the hard way through <laughs> right. two divorces and a lot of counseling and a lot of different internal work of like you know relationships. They're a beautiful thing if both people are in it for the right reason and not to change each other or constantly seeking something in the relationship. You know, if you need approval all the time, maybe that's a sign that you might want to dig a little bit deeper internally.
1: What do you think that you struggle with still from kind of your former life that maybe you've taken with you into your current life and that you want to work on to continue to prove improve upon?
0: Hmm. That's a good question. I would say the biggest struggle is because I still, I still work, work through it daily is just understanding, like I get to be able to believe if this is my truth or not. So when something comes up and I'm like, I don't agree with this, but that's not how I was raised that I struggle with Yeah, but maybe I should believe that. And then I had to really dig deep on to understand, okay, is this how you were raised? Or is this your truth? Kind of like you get to choose now. So like having the ability to choose and actually feeling like I have a voice in it and I have a say in it. Like just knowing that, you know, you can empower yourself. Like you're allowed to say, no, that's not how I believe. And you're allowed to have your own opinion. That's been one of the struggle points. And then the other thing um, I dealt with just recently, you know, I say I just dealt with it recently, but, you know, it comes back and forth is like just the version, you know, just having true self-love and self-worth, the self-worth of like, you don't have to continue to work so hard, but allow grace. So, okay, maybe you didn't get everything done you wanted to get done. That's fine. Like, it'll be okay. Okay. And, um, sometimes like I'm a very structured person and I want to get all these things done and I was wired that way. Like this is on the list, we're going to get it done and it's checked off. So trying to undo that a little bit and just really having fun with life.
1: you <laughs> <laughs> like, I got to have some fun around yes. here.
0: Yeah. Implementing fun. So I've been very strategic about implementing fun. Uh, got me some rollerblades like two weeks ago. So
1: very cool. Um,
0: but just like implementing fun and then implementing that for my boys, because clearly I've had to change my parenting style a little bit since I was structuring them a little bit the way I was raised. Yeah. How <laughs> so, do you talk
1: to your yeah. sons about like sex and stuff if like you were never taught anything yourself? I would imagine not. In Amish, they don't have sex education. I mean, I could be wrong, but probably doesn't seem like that's a thing. You know,
0: you are correct. They do not okay. have it. Boom. Boom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, um thankfully, me and my boys have a very open um we're very open and transparent with everything, and at a very young age, so of course, you know we talked about like I always talk to them about relationship, like having respect and you know how to treat a woman and the um the sex talk we talk you know different things, and the school does a lot of it, right so they educate them on some of it so They've all they've had the sex talk through school, so I knew as soon as they had that that and that we just had deeper conversations about it. And yeah, it makes them uncomfortable, and they don't like to listen to it because, mom, that's gross. We shouldn't be talking about this. And I'm like, no, yeah. we are going to talk about it, so that way you know, like these are the risks. This is what can happen. This is what the potential is. And I always like tell them, you know, if you're touching someone that doesn't have your consent or you don't have their consent. Then that's on you. And you know, that's a whole other story. So yeah, we we have a very open, which I'm really thankful. Like we have an open conversation a lot about it.
1: Yeah, what a journey. This is like an incredible journey. Like really eye opening. And um it sounds like you've come out on the other side uh much better. And you I mean, you seem like a really nice person, Emily. You really do.
0: <laughs> Thank you. And, Thank uh, you.
1: Yeah. Thanks for sharing your story. Um And, um, just being so vulnerable and honest about it. You know, I'm I'm sure, like you said, you get asked about things a lot, I'm sure, but I think sharing your story, there's something magical about it that releases something out into the atmosphere to a lot of people. So I think a lot of people are going to get quite a bit, uh, from this episode and I'm just appreciative of your time. I appreciate you.
0: Thank you. I appreciate you having me on here.
1: It's my pleasure. And, uh, I look forward to discussing more things maybe in the future. I just just so much to cover and not always, always the time to do it. Um, but thanks again, and we will be in
0: touch. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dr. D's Social Network. Make sure you listen to future episodes. Also, please make sure to rate and review My Dad's Show on Apple Podcasts in the rate and review section. Thanks, everyone.